Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of the Round Trippers podcast. I am your host, Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for joining us today. And yes, I say us because we got a good one for you today. I have two guests with me today. We're going to be talking a lot about baseball journalism in the wake of uh, Ken Rosenthal's shocking firing from the MLB Network. I have two guests with me that are um, very experienced in the journalism part of the world, and I'm very excited that they are on. I have um, co-host of the Dong City podcast and my good friend Vince Mercandetti. Vince, thank you for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here. And I have a writer and a baseball journal and sports journalist himself, Corey Decker. Corey, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. All right. So we are. How was your guys' New Year's? Pretty good. Mine was good. It was. Um... It was pretty dead because I had to keep fighting the the rain here in Phoenix because it does rain here in Phoenix. It's <laughs> quite shocking when it does, but it does. I'm sure you guys aren't built for rain over there. No, we, we see rain and, and literally just – it's so moisture resistant, I just melt, and then you have to post about it because it happens so rarely. yeah it's like that over here in california too we see water and we don't know what to do with it because we never see it over here in california uh vince how was your how was your new year's i have the opposite problem in florida um (laughs) we get we get a lot of rain when appropriate new year's was good i gained 13 pounds i think in uh in the week of christmas to new year's so working on that now but uh yeah you know i'll never never disagree with binge eating so there you go i was gonna say i feel like i feel like that's just a universal excuse for all of us it's like it's the holidays so i'm gonna gain 10 pounds no matter what i and of course i schedule like all my doctor appointments for december because it's the end of the year and i'm just like so much fatter when I weigh in at the doctor's office in December than any other time of year. But that's, uh, that's what I set myself up for. <laughs> I'm like, get on the scale and I like, lean. I don't need to do this, but I lean over to the nurse. I'm like, I, I actually weigh less than that. Like, <laughs> most of the time. I'm yeah. sure the nurse hears that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, okay. Whatever you say, fat ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's been my last <laughs> week or two, which is denying my own weight. Uh, well, while, uh, while we were all celebrating our New Year's festivities, apparently there's some, I mean, amidst all of the labor negotiations or lack thereof labor negotiations, there's some turmoil in the MLB and the MLB network. Um, one of the most premier uh, baseball media personalities and journalists, Ken Rosenthal, was fired from the MLB network, supposedly for criticizing the MLB commissioner, Rob Manfred, which I think is completely ridiculous because that's his job. Um, that's my opinion. But um, let's, let's go around the table and get some reactions to this firing and uh, we can get started. So uh, we'll start with uh, Corey. Corey, what do you think uh, – what's your reaction to Ken Rosenthal being fired from the MLB Network? It's argu- arguably the most charming, soft, ultra-plush news that I've heard as far as it relates to baseball writers. It's, it's something that he's hired on as a journalist for the MLB Network. It, it would be one thing if he was like – the PR director of MLB, but he's supposed to be critical. He's supposed to 
put out their stuff for us fans. And frankly, there's not a lot that Manfred has done to uphold and not be critical of. So I'm kind of shocked by this, the softness of the commissioner here. Yeah, I thought it was kind of weird. Do you think this came from the commissioner himself or? I have a hard time believing that it didn't. I don't see any sources. I'm not reporting anything. But I have a very hard time thinking of somebody saying this on the commissioner's behalf because they have some weird vendetta against Rosenthal or something. I mean, maybe they just hate bow ties. But I'd imagine... <laughs> I'd imagine this came from Manfred himself. Yeah. Uh, Vince, what's your reaction? There's a few interesting angles here. Andrew Marchand is the one who broke the story, um, reputable journalist in, in his own right. It, the story doesn't – there's two things that I think should be specified here. One is that Rosendahl technically wasn't fired. His contract wasn't renewed. His contract was up, um, and MLB decided not to renew it, which – basically the same and Sumin, but it is a little bit different in that he wasn't actively fired, which means he didn't really need to be given a reason. So now we get to the actual reason part, which no one's actually proven like Manfred even like this is the reason at all. Um, I think it's very telling though that players and other people in the industry and other people around MLB have reacted just assuming that that is correct though. It's very telling as to what people think about Manfred in the first place, which, like Corey said, is not much. Um, I think he's pretty universally hated, I think, by everyone except the owners, which you hear all the time from that fan that uh, that's his only job is to please the owners, which is true and also false. Um, you know, you, you can do that job and also not be a dick, and Manfred fails at that. So I sort of look at it, I don't know whether it's true or not that's why he got fired. I kind of look at it more as I think MLB itself, the network, is probably going to go in a certain direction going forward, and Rosenthal didn't fit that. Now, if that direction is, you know, being extremely – being an extreme ally to MLB, which would kind of make sense, it's an MLB network, that's one thing. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but it could have been any any – several reasons as to why Rosenthal is not coming back, but he's going to be fine. I mean, he's still with the athletic, which in my opinion is a, a better source anyway for MLB's things. And he's also still with Fox sports, which in my opinion is more entertaining. So <laughs> I like MLB network. I don't think there's really, I, this doesn't, this is kind of a non story at the end of the day, but it is fascinating in that it happened. I think that's what it is, is it's just, it's fascinating because you have baseball's, Pretty much, I think he's one of the, if not the, premier baseball journalist right now. I yeah. mean, a, a lot of news stories that break out, the name you hear constantly is Ken Rosenthal. You know, you you see so many things come out of Ken Rosenthal, which is why I think it was so shocking that he would be let go from anywhere, you know, whether he was fired or contracts or whatever. You would think somebody that as that that is well known in this field as Ken Rosenthal is you would think they would want to keep him on I think the fascination is what draws everybody to this story um yeah he's he's essentially the woes of baseball right like he's the guy who breaks stories it's him and Tim Kirchin or probably if I had to guess off the top of my head the two most reputable guys in MLB as far as journalism goes so in that sense definitely fascinating 
But again, I go back to, and maybe it's a little naive. I, you know, his contract was, was, you could look at it both ways. His contract was ending, MLB wanted to fire him, and this is what you do as a good PR move to fire someone is you wait for their contract to expire, or it was expiring and this whole thing is overblown. We don't have any proof that Rosenthal was actually going to be fired because of criticizing Manfred in the first place. But I think all of us agree we wouldn't put it past him because, like I said, he's a dick. So Right. So, um, Corey, do you feel like that was the real reason was he was criticizing Manfred or do you, do you feel that was they were pretty much out to get Rosenthal and, uh, you know, everybody – do you think everybody's coming to that conclusion, I guess, is my question. I, I think they are because – a lot of the reaction on, on Twitter and like, you know, I, I have the story up now and it, you know, they just let his contract expire, but I feel like where there's smoke, there's fire in a lot of cases, unless you're talking about politics in which there's just always smoke coming out their ass, but. And uh, always fire. Yeah. And always fire wrong ends, <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of well-connected journalists that are backing up this this idea that Manfred, you know, fired him or got in the way or told whoever the, the power makers at BR to not renew his contract. It's hard for me to see uh, Twitter Twitter posts from like John Heyman, Tom Ferducci, John Morosi, I think Jeff Passon talked about it, backing up this idea that it was Manfred behind it. Even though there's no proof, it's interesting to me that there's so many well-connected people that are upholding the story. Yeah, and I don't think to that point, either of us necessarily have to be wrong there. I think it could very well be a situation where they don't want to continue with Ken Rosenthal. One of the reasons is because of the way he covered the 2020 pandemic, which is the speculated guess as to what Manfred had an issue with, was he was critical of Manfred for how they handled it, as he should have been, we all know. Um, that was handled terribly. And, uh, and then this was just the convenient escape pod. So I mean, it, could, it could be both things. Um, I just find it fascinating. This kind of goes into journalism as a whole. I just find it fascinating how this story has developed, which was essentially one guy writing, hey, I don't have any sources. I'm not going to list them. But it's probable that Ken Rosenthal was just fired because he was critical of Man- Rob Manfred last year. And... And now it's this whole big thing. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was what Corey just said. He listed all of those journalists that um, that are backing up or kind of insinuating that it was Manford behind this. And three out of the four that he, that he named are affiliated with the MLB network. Tom Verducci, John Morosi, like they make frequent appearances on the MLB network. So you know, that is a really interesting spin as well. You would think if they were affiliated and they wanted to create more of an alliance with Manfred, that they would be more like, no, 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 that's not the case. So that is, that's it also should point out and this again, a state of current journalism. I think the best coverage on this is from awful announcing, which I've read like my entire life. Um, (laughs) They pointed out Ken Rosenthal wasn't on the air for three months in 2020 on MLB Network. He was kind of on an unofficial suspension. He was still getting paid. He was still making guest appearances, but they actually took him off the air for a few months. So that is definitely the smoke, as Corey said, to the fire is uh, that could be, again, another huge coincidence. But it seems very likely we can deduce at worst 
they were trying to phase Rosenthal out over the past year anyway, and this was the perfect time to cut ties because there's no harm, no foul. And at best, Manfred threw a hissy fit and was like, absolutely, don't bring him back. We want him out of the network. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he's uh, Rosenthal has tweeted out himself, and he never pointed fingers at Manfred. He just said that. Uh, he, it is true that his contract is not, uh, is not renewed for MLB network. And then he came out saying that he is, uh, continuing his relationship with the athletic and Fox sports and all the other things he is affiliated with. The only thing that's changed is his relationship with, or lack of now with the MLB network, um, going into the state of journalism in baseball as a whole, um, I've seen pieces like this on MLB Network where they talk about the state of baseball journalism, and I thought it was really, really interesting. That's been a few years. So uh, that's been a few years ago. So let's talk about how the state of journalism is now and how has it, um, how has it evolved. Um, you know, we ha- I have two, two people here who are very well-versed in journalism. Um, so it'll be interesting to get both of your takes on how journalism has evolved over the years in baseball and where it's at today. Um, we'll start with, uh, we, we started with Corey on the last question. So we'll, we'll go ahead and start with Vince. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, the way it used to be when I was going to broadcasting school, um, you know, broadcast journalism is what I majored in and then entered the industry for a few years. Um, you know, they, they teach you the fundamentals and the fundamentals back then we're talking 15 ish years ago. Um, you know, you have to, the key back then was to develop really good sources and that's still the case now, but the, at the end of the day, if you look back on his, on history and in any sort of journalism, it was, you had to gain trust. You had to have your sources and you had to report according to journalistic tenets, which meant no yellow journalism, which we can get into later. Um, but it, it meant basically telling an honest story, reporting honest news. And for a long, long time between, you know, mostly in the 20th century, that was like the key to journalism. And if you told an honest story, you were going to get those sources, you were going to get the scoops, and you were going to report it. The problem is over the past 15 years, social media and the internet and everything else has become so fast paced. Like, you know, Corey was checking Twitter for this story and that's a testament to everything is instant now. And it's not just baseball. It's it's everything across, across the world as far as journalism goes. Now it's more important to have the scoop, to have a piece of the story, any piece whatsoever, because that's going to bring in revenue. And when I was in the industry was when TV stations were falling apart. You know, it was, it was the 2009 economy falling apart. Um, when I got into the industry, they were laying off half of the staff of, of TV stations. Sports is kind of low on the totem pole in that regard. Um, it's not as important as, as news in the eyes of a, of a news station. Um, so literally like half the cameramen were walking out the door and I was working for free, you know, when I was first breaking in as an intern. Um, and back and really since that time, revenues always mattered, but now revenue is the only thing. Um, you have to actually be able to pay your bills and stay, you know, keep the lights on, so to speak. And that's really made the shift, along with instant gratification um, and technology. That's really been the shift I've seen in baseball. Is now you're getting these even, you know, MLB trade rumors is almost slow now. I don't know if you guys were too old, were are too young to remember when MLB trade rumors first like started as a thing. 
they were breaking stories that hadn't been broken yet. Uh, that's how they got their reputation was they were telling you the trades because it was, you know, if there's a whisper, we'll report it. That's like their motto. They were breaking the news stories because their sources were the journalists. And now MLB trade rumors is kind of on the back end of these rumors because they're being broken on Twitter instead. So that's kind of the phenomenon I've, I've been paying attention to is that this the instant gratification and the, and the constant need for stories to draw revenue has really changed the way journalists work. It's now more based on on popular. It's more based on personality. It's more based on speed and it's less based on having the full story or even getting it accurate, you know, some of the time. Um, and that's really the main difference I've noticed kind of over the last 10, 15 years. Right. So do you feel like people like Ken Rosenthal, do you think he would be as premier of a journalist as he is now if he didn't have the personality that he did have with his bow ties and his, you know, his personality and stuff like that? Or do you think he'd just be a run of the mill based journalist and we never know who Ken Rosenthal is? I would hate to ever give credit to bow ties for anything, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I do think that's part of his shtick. He's also like five foot four and he, you know, he's good about it. He, you know, he's, he's like a horse jockey reporting journalism um, or reporting baseball. I, I think Ken's actually a little more old school. You know, he is pretty uh, particular about the stories. He's not one to kind of just throw shit against a wall like you see with maybe a Joel Sherman or a Bob Nightingale. Those are the guys who are like out there like this could happen. Uh, you know, and these weasel, my dad raised me teaching me about weasel words, which is like may and can. If you use those in a sentence, it doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah. I'm, you know, you may go and hit a home run today. You literally said nothing. <laughs> it just means you, you could hit a home run. You also could not. Um, you see that all the time in news stories, and that's kind of, you know, Ken's not really like that, whereas a lot of other guys in the industry now are, I think, ESPN. ESPN's an interesting phenomenon we could talk to if you about if you want to, where they create their own rumors, and then they make stories out of their own rumors. And now all of a sudden you have a story that's completely come out of nowhere. <laughs> they just manufactured their own story. Right. Um, so you see that a lot. But I, I think Ken's actually a little more old school. He has, you know, great reputation. Uh, he just has really good sources. He's been in the industry for a while. He's well-respected. And I think that's kind of more where his popularity stems from. Okay. Uh, Corey, same question to you. What do you, uh, what do you see as an active journalist and an active writer? What do you see in terms of the evolution of baseball journalism and uh, the state of, of journalism today? And quite frankly, the sports world, we could talk about just baseball, but quite frankly, the sports world at this point. Well, I think the one thing that I noticed is something Vince kind of hit on is instant gratification. Like, we hear things on Twitter before the radio get them. I mean, I have friends that are radio producers, and they tell me part of their job is to literally sit behind the glass while the host is talking and refresh Twitter. And that's how, that's how they get the news. So it's interesting to me that we're so focused on tweets and a lot of times Jeff Passan is really good about creating threads where instead of getting it all together in one piece he'll just go you know one out of four and he'll write the whole thing in a super long tweet thread to me that's that's interesting but I think the biggest thing is that a lot of stuff comes from a, a single tweet there's been a lot of takes and a lot of sources that I write that I write from that'll take 
some tweet that isn't even from a, a journalist. It'll just be from some alternate account, like my sports update or, or something. And it'll just be some weird rumor that's put out there. And then it just grows from there. So let's talk about, let's talk about these rumors. Cause the, both of you have hit on it now where you talked about the rumors on Twitter and Vince has talked about the rumors that ESPN creates and kind of blows it into their own story. Um, are we really dominated by rumors now instead of actual fact from sources is, is, are, are more, are more stories created from rumors? And is that how journalists are gathering attention? Created? Yes. Um, does that mean that the story is based on rumors? Not necessarily. And what I mean by that is it's interesting. Corey pointed that out about radio producers today. Uh, when I was in, in the radio station, like when I, you know, when I was helping out with shows and whatnot, uh, we had ESPN on, on silent. <laughs> I worked for ESPN, but we had that on, you know, in the radio, in the room, that's where we would kind of get our breaking news. And now it's just funny to me that like, even that's too slow. Now they're getting it from Twitter, um, which makes perfect sense, you know, cause even on the radio show, like if you're live, that's a huge coup for you. If you can report something that's breaking, um, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I think that the way stories are created is you just, it's like Corey kind of mentioned, is you just need a piece. Um, so the story could be created from any sort of nonsense, in my mind, rumor, and then they fill in the pieces later. Why I say, why I differentiate between that being the whole story is that you do need a story later, or else you just lose your credibility. Like credibility is still a thing today. It's just the way the story is constructed and the time in which it's done is completely different. We can build 10% of a story and fill in the other 90% over the next few hours or days, however long it takes. Whereas before you probably had 75% of the story, you're filling in the other 25% later. Um, so that's really, that's really how I see it is. I don't think you can just straight up throw out fake stories unless you're like a satirical or extreme news site, you know, those exist and people buy into them because they don't know any better. But if you're like an ESPN or an MLB network or whatever, you still need a backbone of the story. It's just a matter of how much you need in order to get it out there. Right. Corey, what do you think about these rumors that um, are created on social media or ESPN or wherever? I think, I think like Vince said, with a lot of the, the, the really big, you know, ESPN, MLB Network, Fox Sports. I think that there's a lot of backbones about it, but what's happening in journalism now and even with, you know, in the base, the best baseball group in Facebook, you know, baseball life, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> you'll, no, you'll notice that even though there's concrete evidence, even though it's, it's from Jeff Passan, even though it's from a credible source you'll get these fan blogs that'll take a hold of it and either crap on it or talk about it a little bit but then swing some new idea at the end i saw this a lot during the mets manager search buck showalter was a name that was there from the beginning a lot of people really wanted brad osmus for some reason i guess they don't like winning but <laughs> They they took like the Brad Osmus things, and there would be random Mets fans accounts where, oh, the team is looking into into Brad Osmus because Epler and him are 
our friends from years ago. Look at look at this weird thing that we've created. And then when the Mets themselves announced that it was Showalter, they were still like, oh, fake news. To the actual Mets Twitter account, they called it fake. And yeah. it's weird that these rumors dominate all these people that can't seem to think critically because it's not what they want and it's not what they want to hear. Right. Yeah, it's two specific stories stick out to me. Well, one I'll just make up on the spot, but the other one sticks out to me. One is that uh, what I when I say ESPN, and, and it could be anyone, and, you know, I'm not just picking on ESPN, but I know they were really one of the first to start doing this since they are a 24-7 sports channel. Um, when I say that they can make up their own stories, uh, I'll give you a hypothetical. Aaron Judge set to be a free agent after this year, right? He has not signed an extension yet, so theoretically this year anything can happen where he'll either return to the Yankees or he'll go somewhere else. Well, if ESPN were covering this story, all they have to do <laughs> is say – Aaron Judge set to walk at the end of the year. Um, sources say he may be unhappy with his current situation. They don't need to cite anyone for that. Uh, and they don't even really need to say they heard it from anywhere. They could just say he may be, un- again, weasel word, he may be unhappy with his situation for whatever reason. And then what happens is that story comes out onto the web. You have 7,000 blogs that'll tweet just one line or, or, you know, copy one line. And then ESPN will have SportsCenter later on in the night, and they'll say, Aaron Judge, unhappy, question mark. And they'll say, and then they'll have a story about, here's the five teams he might go to if he becomes a free agent. Here are his possible trade destinations. Here's where Aaron Judge might, you know, prefer over this, or who do, who has he managed, you know, who's been his manager in the past, whatever. They'll have five different stories from a rumor that they started earlier in the day and all of a sudden that becomes a major news story. So that's one example of how modern journalism's really changed and you know they could do something like that and now it's not just them it could be anyone on any blog with any credibility. And then the other one was what did it for me was you know I don't get too deep into Twitter usually um, but I do for sports rumors now and what started that was Manny Machado <laughs> when he was a free agent uh, obviously, as a Yankee fan, I was very invested in where he might go. I really wanted him to come to the Yankees. And that was the first time I got like the front row seat for a Twitter experience with rumors because you heard like, you know, the White Sox are over there signing John Jay, who was like his best friend. That had speculation. Machado's cousin was caught in public wearing a Yankee hat or whatever. That meant he was going to go to the Yankees. We had sources out the ass saying, I will sign off Twitter forever if Manny Machado doesn't go to the Yankees. That's how sure I am it's going to happen from my inside sources. You had international journalists in other countries tweeting in Spanish that could be translated to Manny Machado is going to go to the Yankees or the White Sox, whatever it was. And then Manny Machado goes to the Padres, which really no one knew until I think like the the day of or the day before. Like that just came out of nowhere. No one even knew they could spend $300 million back then. Um, And that's what happened. And it was like Yankees, White Sox. And then you find out like the Yankees bid was like 90 million less than where he ended up going for. So it just was my first moment where I was like, this is really what modern day journalism is, is it's just... You, you could speculate and you can make entire stories out of that and it could go for days on end and you have an endless audience because the entire world is now tuned into you in some way, shape or form. Right. 
Yeah, I think the one, I think the story that got me this year, in fact, was the Tigers' um, quest for a shortstop. Oh. I had said on this podcast that I thought Carlos Correa was going to – I thought he was the best fit for the Tigers. He's going to go to the Tigers. There's no way that anybody else is going to go to the Tigers. Then you had the whole A.J. Hinch and Carlos Correa had lunch, right? So they had yeah. lunch together. So now, oh, you know, now since A.J. Hinch made all of that – um, made all that effort. He's got to go to the Tigers. He's the Tigers and Carlos Correa. That's it. And then all of a sudden you get the news story, Javier Baez signs with the Tigers. And you're like, wait, what? I forgot Javier Baez was a free agent. Like how in the world, like where did Javier Baez come from? So that was, as you guys were talking about rumors, that was the one that was coming up in my head was there was, was the Tigers' search for a shortstop. And now Carlos Correa still a free agent and no one has any idea where he's going to go. So yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. Um, so, you know, we're talking about creating these rumors and creating this story. So let's get into the journalistic process itself, the process of creating pieces for, you know, whether it's a big company like ESPN or a, or a small other media company that, you know, people may ha uh, may not have heard of. So let's go into the first part of how does a person go about creating articles or pieces and, you know, becoming that sports journalist and, you know, gathering these sources. And um, let's talk about creating these articles. Um, Corey, as the active uh, sports writer and active writer yourself, I'll, I'll uh, lend this to you. What is that process? What does that process look like as a sports writer? Well, for me, I'll, I'll either start about writing about something that I like. Normally at this, at this point of year, I, I like to look into the D-backs prospects and what they're about. Are they good teammates? All that other stuff. Sometimes I'll get like, um, article ideas that relate to some of the bigger things that everybody's talking about and other times I'm not particularly proud of this but some of my highest rated articles have come out of this and it's to piss people off uh, I mean <laughs> plainly I wrote two Shohei Otani stories in the past year solely because I knew it would trigger the Dong City hosts <laughs> and it worked <laughs> like my my highest just quick sidetrack my like third highest viewed article ever was titled chargers fans are you the reason why the team is leaving san diego Twelve thousand people looked at that <laughs> so that's like my current process <laughs> it's, it's awesome. just that's 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 cool i like that that's funny um so how do you go about writing the once you figure out the the um the topic of what you want to write is there a certain process in the creating this and you know from you know having a blank page to finally um, sending it to your editor i i have to look at the st statistics first it's insane to me that people will write something there's a there's a source that comes up in baseball life a lot called overtime heroics and outside of andrew o'sullivan they don't back up shit and for me i'll have like an article idea and then i will i will test myself i will be basically vince i will go and i'll say well 
does he have the right OBP? Do they have the right contact contract situation? Do they have the, the proper draft picks if I'm doing an NFL article? And a lot of times it'll kind of get built from there from the different statistics that I'll that I'll write. Like if I if I were to do a best fit pieces, I'll look at cap space. I'll look at expiring contracts. And then the ones that make the most sense to be number one become number one in my in my piece. Okay. Cool. Awesome. I I just I always think this is really interesting. Um so uh Vince, uh I don't know if you've done any sports writing in your career. I've seen a lot of your um I guess you want to call them articles on baseball life and all the other life groups. You, uh, you write very eloquently, but you're, you're also the host of Dong city. Um, you're also the host of Dong city, which I would say podcasting is also a form of, jor- of journalism. You know, sure. we, we sit and talk and, you know, react to certain things. So um, let's talk about the process as either a podcaster or a writer, however you want to, whatever you want to speak on. Yeah, uh, I have done both. I used to write, uh, that's actually how I found the life groups was I used to be a paid writer, uh, sports writer um, for a website, which God bless me. I can't remember what the name of it is anymore. This, this is probably from, this is probably from like 2013 to 2017. Um, but yeah, I, you know, writing to me, and I don't know, Corey, if you disagree, but writing for me is the easy part. Um, you know, obviously, like he said, you, you come up with a topic, right? And we're talking non-corporate here. I, I mean, there's some more red tape. There's some more kind of collaboration. If you're actually working for a company, you're working for yourself and you're writing, um, doing journalism, which honestly, there's no no huge difference anymore between if you're doing it the right way. Um, you come up with a topic and then I'll sort of have the backbone of that topic. You know, what? it's not necessarily what do I want the narrative to be? It's wouldn't it be interesting if this thought had an actual conclusion and then you start and you, you start building out the research part of it. Um, exactly what Corey was talking about, you know, you're putting the stats together, you're finding, does this have legs, so to speak? Um, and then you're going to fill it in with kind of the, what I would call the credibility part of it. If you can add a quote, if you can back it up from a professional source, if you can do any of those things. Um, you're going to add that in and that's going to really kind of complete it. And then obviously you have to conclude it with whatever your actual findings were. That's a smart way I'd go about it. Um, I think sometimes you run into people who have this idea and they're going to write their story around what they want the conclusion to be. And that's where you get into trouble. There's a, you know, you guys have seen my posts in baseball life. I can write a lot in a short amount of time um you would not be you would be surprised how many things i've deleted (laughs) and not posted um because ultimately once i got down to it once i did all of my cross-referencing and everything else for the point i wanted to make i found out the point i wanted to make wasn't an actual point (laughs) so so i had to delete the whole thing it was a total waste of my time um that's from a print standpoint now from a broadcasting standpoint if you're making you know an actual like video and news story sports story uh, completely different kind of process. In that case, you're finding your topic. And what I actually used to do was you go out and you kind of film your B-roll. That's, you know, the stuff you actually see in a sports package, the actual, what you're visualizing. Um, and then, and you, you do your interviews. So essentially you do your, your recording. Um, one story for whatever reason sticks out to me, I was covering a local high school softball team and 
Um, we <laughs> used to, it was a joke in my journalism class. We had this teacher, very well prominent teacher, used to cover the Cowboys. Um, and she stressed the word pith, which I don't know if you've ever heard the word pith, but this was like constant. And what pith essentially means is when you begin a story with a video, you want it to be biting and you want it to be whatever the sound is, you want it to really resonate with the viewer. So for softball, my pith was the sound essentially of an aluminum bat hitting a ball. So I filmed women in, in the batting cages that day. It was just normal practice. And that was what I led with, which is the sound of a softball bat hitting a softball in the batting cages. It's obviously an unmistakable noise. And then you get into your standup and the standup is something that, you know, I ultimately would do the standup and the whatever I was finishing with last because I knew what the story was going to be. But essentially you just film the recording and you also do interview questions. You know, in this case it was easy. My topic was a softball team. So I'm going to talk to the coach. I'm going to talk to some players, going to find out, you know, what their stats, who's the leader, how, what are their expectations for the year or whatever. And then you get back to whatever editing studio you're using and you, uh, you basically take the best of that B-roll and then you actually have to write the story. So the story part's the hardest part because now you have to, unlike journalism, you know, print journalism, if you're just writing a story, you're just writing it. It's however long it is. Maybe you have a word limit. That's about it. But with journalism, with broadcast journalism, you're actually matching however long your sentences are to however long that clip is because it has to flow in a certain way. And you have a, a limit as far as how long it has to be in general. It might be a five minute story. It might be two. Um, and so you're basically writing the story in the background to the actual visual. So it's just a whole different process. I actually preferred that more, even though, you know, print writing was just, was easier for me. That's, that's interesting. So I'll speak on behalf of podcasters. Cause I feel like those two processes are different than a podcast themselves yes. because podcasts really are not visual, but they're auditory. So it's not like, it's not like you're writing a story. It, it, I feel like it's a combination of both, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to podcasting, you know, really like I kind of do the same thing as both of you do. I have a concept in my head, like the thing, the two that come really the one that comes into my mind is the first episode where, and that was really where I decided to come, come off with this uh, and come out with this podcast idea was. I really wanted to talk about the horrific Javier Baez play with him. <laughs> like, I was like, this is the most ridiculous play that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, this is embarrassing. And so I was like, I really need to start this podcast because I feel like my opinion is not being heard because everybody think Javier Baez is, a mag is magical and craps gold bricks. And... <laughs> You know, I'm just like, this is so frustrating. So that was my first episode. And so when I started that, I go, okay, my topic for most of this is going to be how crappy of a play that that play actually was. Then I went with, well, let's look at the video. So I looked at the video countless times, angry the entire time I was watching it. Um, <laughs> and then I looked at his stat cast. I looked at his sprint speed. I looked at, you know, sprint speed compared to other shortstops, other players in the league, you know, and stuff like that. And it basically, I came to the conclusion of, yes, it was embarrassing. So now I needed to 
figure out how to tell that in an auditory manner because I didn't have the visuals. I don't have the print, you know, so I feel like it's a combination of both. The other one that I, that comes up is when I talked about how um, the shift really doesn't mean anything. Why are we banning the shift when it doesn't do anything? Right? So the, the main thing for me was I wanted to say, well, if these hitters learn how to hit to the opposite field, you wouldn't have that problem right? A lot of people have that. Then I looked into a little bit of the statistics and tried to say, look, you know, the, some like DJ LeMayhew is one of the least shifted on people in the, in the MLB. And it's because he hits to all fields and stuff like that. But then when you start looking at it, when you start looking at it, you have premier hitters that are not shifted on and you have premier hitters that are almost exclusively shifted on. So you know, when you start looking at all of that, then it really had to change my idea of, okay, well, my original idea wasn't right. So now I have to figure out what I want to say because I still want to talk about the shift, but my original idea isn't really kind of where I wanted it to be. So, you know, it's kind of that too. How do you fit all of those into, how do you fit that idea into an hour show or an hour and a half? Like I really try to limit to an hour. Um, it doesn't work a lot of the time. Um, but you know, at least I don't, at least I have more than an hour. That's all my biggest fear is I've had less than an hour. So, um, it's really interesting to hear the different, uh, processes. Um, but I think the difference for me is I do this on my own. I do it for fun and whatever I decide I'm happy with, I'm happy with. And I put it on, I put it on Spotify, right? The Dong city podcast is the same way. Like if we're happy with it, if you guys, if you and Henry are happy with it, you're happy with it. But let's talk about um, companies. Let's talk about if you actually write for a, you know, a, a journalism, uh, a company, a website, stuff like that. Are there times when a company, when you go to a company and say, I have this idea, can I write about it? And the company goes, well, no, we want you to write it in this perspective, or you can only write it in this sense. Is there times when that happens, uh, Corey? Yeah, I'll say I have it. Kind of in my in my current job, my current job, um, I'm a copywriter for a company called Stage Three Motorsports. We sell a lot of aftermarket truck stuff, um, but we're mainly a Ford. We're for Ford enthusiasts, and recently we've added on Toyota. But I thought it was fun early in my time here to maybe maybe throw in a dig at at Chevy because we're supposed to be. Ford enthusiast, so I'll, I'll I'll throw in an insult at Chevy, and I wrote it in, and my boss said, "You can't write that." And I said, "Well, why? Why can't I? I write it. I've got the First Amendment. We're Ford enthusiasts. <laughs> like Ford, good. Chevy, bad. Right?" He said, "Yes, but eventually we're looking to expand to include all makes and models, so you can't have that sentence in there about how." You know, the only thing Chevys are good for is to help Ford boost their towing numbers because you always find Chevys on the side of the road. You know, you they 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 basically told me that I couldn't write that way because they wanted to make it known that we were known for Fords, but we were starting to expand into other markets, and I've come across that in several different arenas uh, especially for working for the arizona rattlers i couldn't include anything more than two paragraphs about the opponent in any given press release because mm -hmm. 
where the Rattlers were better. It, <laughs> and as he gives air quotes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so how does that affect your process when writing an article? Does that really screw with the process or is it really not that big of a deal? It bugs me. It, I, cr- I, have, I have the process of whenever I write on my own, I have the process of I just want whatever I put out there to be correct. I have a very hard time spinning unless I'm triggered. Um, so I have to get on my – I had to metaphorically put on a helmet right before I, I write something like that because then it alters my research. It alters my how I write. It alters my thought process. It alters my opening, my closing. All of it. Wow. That's, I, I, I had a feeling that would happen, but um, so do you find that pieces like that are tougher to write or they take longer to write or, you know, is it, is the process tougher once you find out you have a limit? Yes and no. Uh, I would say it's easier for me when I agree with the bias. Uh, like there's a lot of stuff with the Arizona Rattlers where the following week we would be playing some two win team. We'd be playing some, some garbage, you know, some garbage, garbage team. We kill them all the time. Then it was easy for me to obviously write with a Rattler spin. But when it came to like, when they made the championship game and I had to write the preview, it was difficult for me to give an edge to the Rattlers because it was so, evenly matched throughout mm, interesting that's 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 really interesting uh vince what do you have to say about private company or you know companies and their limits and how that affects the journalistic process yeah i mean i i could probably speak more from a like radio tv standpoint right. from a from a writing standpoint uh, I mean, I'd have to go back to like high school journalism where that was ever a factor or just specific things where they're like, don't write that. Um, and, and for me, it was always more about, I, I wanted to at least control what topic I was writing about. Um, so high school, I pretty much just did op-eds and that was kind of just what my thing was. Um, because if you assigned me like writing about the cookie drive, uh it's just not going to be good work like <laughs> just i can write it <laughs> you know i i can write a story but without passion it, it's a totally different ballgame to me but from like a news station standpoint and a radio station standpoint yeah i mean it, it comes into play you've got sponsors um and in radio especially it's as much about how often you're kind of throwing their names out there as, as not throwing their names out there. Um, so you just have to, you just have to be careful about what you're criticizing or who you're criticizing just because they may have connected to you. Don't, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you essentially. Um, and that's probably the case in different variations with any company, but with sports, obviously your words are recorded or your videos are recorded um, everyone can see them. So you just have to be careful in that regard. Were there ever companies that either one of you like part, didn't particularly care for writing or, or, or working for, and you were, and you had a really hard time either writing or speaking for that company because you didn't particularly care for them. <laughs> 
I, I, um, you don't have to name any names. I'm just, I'm just saying. No, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I, um, I've actually worked for ESPN on two different occasions. One was ESPN radio, which was a fantastic experience. Um, the person that I worked for is now fairly nationally known. Great, great guy. Root for him to this day. I emailed him a couple of years ago because I was working out in a gym and I saw him on TV and I was like, holy shit, like this is the guy who used to get us Chick-fil-A on Fridays. Um, <laughs> so, so that was a fantastic experience. And ESPN radio is, you know, they're all affiliates. So they're not, that's not, I'm not talking Bristol. Like this was in West Palm Beach, um, Florida. But I did work for ESPN Bristol. And this is nothing necessarily against ESPN as a company. I personally had a miserable experience. And I would say 75% of that was myself. Like I was the problem. Uh, it was my first major job out of college. I was working um, in the international department, which was mainly soccer, but also like boxing and a bunch of other sports that I don't watch or care about. But I figured it was a foot in the door type job. Um, and just the, the particular department I worked for at the time was very toxic for lack of a better word. I hate using that term, but in this case, it really was applicable. Um, and my job was scheduling international spots. So keep in mind, I don't speak Spanish. I don't really watch soccer and I didn't like boxing either. Um, but my job was to schedule the most popular spots in Venezuela, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic, three places I've never been before, uh, or at the time had never been before. So <laughs> like you, basically my job was working on an Excel sheet in a cubicle, but I had to figure out what was the most popular things to watch in those countries. Um, and then rank basically the spots and how often they would play and when they would play throughout the day on an Excel sheet. And then that would go to a different department who would then approve it uh, and, and blah, blah, blah. That's how the spots are made from ESPN. Hmm. Wrinkle though, is that if it rained, <laughs> say like I moved over to, uh, you know, we had the Little League World Series, right? That summer and it, it's August, right? And it rains a lot. If it rained and a Little League World Series game was canceled, this could happen, you know, three hours before the game starts. Now, all of a sudden, I have to change all of my spots because we don't want to be advertising for a game that doesn't exist. And I'm doing this in Mexico. So it's, uh, then you have to change like your entire schedule. Um, it was a job that didn't connect with me. I was also young, didn't know any sort of corporate etiquette. So I was like kind of an idiot in my own regard. But also the situation itself was not enjoyable at all. They had a lot of a lot of red tape. There's a lot of kind of cattiness in general in broadcast journalism. It didn't necessarily affect me there, but I could see it. Um, and it just, it's just, I'll leave it at this. It's very funny to see people once the camera's off who are generally in front of the camera and like how they just are as a civilized human being. Overwhelmingly great. Sometimes <laughs> you see a whole different side of people. It's kind of funny. So did that experience make it hard for you to work at that job? Oh yeah. I, I was very, very miserable. Um, only because I felt like I wasn't trained properly. Uh, that's a corporate issue for anyone. Um, but also like just the way that things were done. I'm sure now it's probably done in a lot better way. I'm sure technology's improved. This stuff might even be automated for all I know now. Um, but at the time it was a job that, 
I didn't feel the communication between departments was sound. I didn't think the methods of communication made sense. And that made it really difficult to work um, for that particular point in time in that department for ESPN. Those are all the caveats I'll throw on it. <laughs> uh, Corey, same question to you. Was there ever a time where you were like, where you were working for a place that you didn't particularly care for and did it make it hard to write for that company? I mean, in a way, I haven't really come across it when it's um, like my direct employer, like some of my PR experience, I've, I've come across that where I had to write on behalf of the head of the company and like I knew they were full of shit, but I had to spin it so they weren't full of shit. And that made it inexplicable to write. But honestly, the first thing that keeps coming to my head was when I finally got away from like team blogs and I got to where I write for now WBLZ and they told me, okay, we're gonna need you need you to cover the Dodgers. And I hate the Dodgers. I hate their existence. I hate their <laughs> fans. I hate the Dodgers. <laughs> so it was inexplicably difficult, despite all the facts being there it was inexplicably difficult for me to say good things about the Dodgers. <laughs> so how, how, how long did you write for the Dodgers? Well, I didn't write for them. I write, I wrote for WBLD yeah. uh, the entire 2018 season. Oh, <laughs> that was right so, around where they started being good too. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I went in and then like, I got over it after the first month. You know, and once once they got to the World Series, I didn't know Boston was cheating, though I should have <laughs> expected it because it's Boston, That's and they right. love, and you know they they like their tires deflated to defend the Patriots, you know, <laughs> but I kind of figured the Dodgers were gonna get just molly whopped that World Series, and that made it all better. <laughs> It made it better after covering them for a season to watch them get embarrassed that badly. I just like how on this podcast now we've made a dig at not only the Patriots, <laughs> not only the Red Sox, not only the Dodgers, but we've also made a dig at Chevy. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of digs going on in this podcast. <laughs> All right. So we are closing in at the end. This has been a really, really interesting and really fun discussion. I wish people talked about the back end of baseball journalism more besides just the faces. I wish people would talk about journalism more. Let's wrap this up and go into a uh, last call. So um, Vince has been on before. Um, I'm sure he has another story ready, but um, essentially for you new viewers and you new guests, basically what last call is, is um, any guest and myself that come on this show and we talk about personal baseball stories, um, anything that involves you and it has to be, and it's pretty much about baseball. Um, I've had a lot of interesting stories. Um, I talk about my little league days a lot. Um, and I think it's just really interesting to hear personal baseball stories from everybody that comes on the show because, you know, any baseball fan has a story about baseball. So, um, you know, let's go to last call and let's, t let's tell these stories. Um, I don't care who starts, uh, either one of you can start. I'm just not going first because I am the host and I don't want to go first. So. <laughs> Corey, do you have a preference? 
Uh, I'll just mine's mine is going to be shorter than Vince's because I've seen Vince's comments, so I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, the year was about 2012-2013, and uh, Kurt Gibson was the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Living in Arizona, I love I love going to spring training games, and I. I also love baseball history, so I knew all about the 88 World Series and his walk-off. And it's, despite me despising the team, it's one of my favorite baseball stories ever. So I decided, let me go and buy a Dodgers hat, and I'll get there earlier, early, so that way, you know, I'll get some Paul Goldschmidt autographs, I'll get a Harada Pura autograph, I'll get A.J. Pollock if he doesn't break his arm trying to hold the pen. Um, and I got it all ready and I got Miguel Montero I got Paul Goldschmidt to sign a ball and a shirt, nicest guy in the world then Kurt Gibson comes up and I'm like, oh my god it's the 88 World Series hero and I get to have him sign a Dodgers hat and I get my pen ready, it's it's a nice gold sharpie and I give it to him and he looks down at, down at it and says, I'm not touching that shit <laughs> I said, I said, oh, the 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 ball that I'm holding, I'll let me put it. He said, no, 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 that hat, I'm not touching that shit. And I get frightened because he's like a foot taller than me, looking down. And he's, oh, I'm not touching that. Like spawn <laughs> of Satan. And I said, okay, okay, let me just have you send this baseball. Was <laughs> so, it Dodgers yeah. hat? It was a Dodgers hat. It was a bright blue. I think I've got yeah, I've got it right over here. I ended up getting Cody Bellinger's signature on it. Why? But like, it's just a regular. What was his beef with it? it did you it's know? just a regular hat. That's yeah. his, his beef was this was this was right after there was that huge fight between the D-backs and the Dodgers, and the Dodgers had jumped into the pool at Chase Field the year before and oh, yeah, so, so celebrate the division. Oh, yeah. Bud. So wow. he just he just said, no, I'm not touching that shit. To a hat of a team that he practically won the World Series yeah. for. That's the part that surprises me. Wow. Man, That's Kirk Gibson short memory. Right? Yeah. For real. <laughs> Although he had his fair share of issues when he got there. As well, yeah. he had issues with the team when he got there. So, you know, that's really interesting. You would think that the Dodgers would hold a special place in his heart. Huh, interesting. Yeah. That's weird. That is a that is an interesting story. I like that one. See, I always like the stories that come on here. I'm glad I'm glad when I can get other guests on here because I don't have to listen to my own stories. I'm like, yeah, I already heard this one. I lived it. Um, so, Vince, what's yours? So I can tell you there are two times in my life that I've ever been starstruck. Um, and by the way, I, I have met Derek Jeter, but I didn't know who he was at the time because he was, a, it was before his rookie year started. Um, and I was like nine, so it, it didn't matter. <laughs> uh, but when I was in eighth grade, I met Kenny Maine on a field trip to ESPN, ironically enough. Um, and that I was like full on like becoming a sports fan. Kenny Maine was my favorite broadcaster because he had a monotone voice, which resonates well with me. Um, so that was like my guy and I met him in real life and it was a total coincidence and wasn't expected. Anyway, the other time was when I was 19, like I said, I interned for ESPN radio, um, actually a couple times with them. 
And this would have been like 2007, if I had to guess, um, 2006, 2007, somewhere in there. And it, first of all, preface it for anyone listening, I'm a diehard Yankee fan my entire life. Um, Pedro Martinez might as well have been the Antichrist in 2007. Uh, we are talking like two or three years fresh off of the Red Sox 2004 upset of the Yankees, which was like the first time in my life I knew the Red Sox would actually beat the Yankees in anything. Um, now it's been all downhill since, but back then, like 2004 was when as a Yankee fan, you were like, oh my God, I didn't realize this was actually a rivalry because the Red Sox won. And in like the most humiliating fashion possible if you're a Yankee fan. So I hated Pedro Martinez and Kurt Schilling. Still hate Kurt Schilling, but Pedro... This is one of those stories that's the reverse of when you meet your idol and he, uh, and you and find out he's like not a good person. This is like I met someone I hate and found out the complete opposite. So I'm 19. I'm, I'm interning for ESPN Radio. I'm from New Jersey. So I only had my license for like two years at the time. So you're like your license at 17 in New Jersey. And they it's like one of my last days of the internship. And Pedro Martinez was playing for the Mets by then and rehabbing in Port St. Lucie, which is probably like a 45 minute to an hour drive from West Palm Beach where our station was. And I get told, hey, as a send off, your job is to go interview Pedro Martinez after his rehab start. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you know, like five seconds ago, I was just like cutting like Phil Gardner audio from an interview. Now you want me to go meet Pedro Martinez in person and get audio from him. And they're like, yes, that's your job. Take the ESPN van. So now I'm like extra shitting my pants because I've only been driving for a few years. I'm supposed to <laughs> drive an ESPN van like 45 minutes to a stadium I've never been to. Uh, and remember, this is like 2007. So like it's not as easy as just pulling up your phone and like having the directions. Um, and then I have to make sure my tape recorder is working. And like, you know, I'm like practicing with it over and over again in the studio. And then I have to actually get there, sit for the Pedro Martinez rehab, make sure I'm in the right place again, the stadium I've never been to, and then actually go to him with my credentials and like get information out of him. So go to the rehab, start, uh, the, you know, I noticed like some other guys who I know are in the industry or there, we're just watching. No one actually gives a shit, by the way, about the actual rehab start. If you're in radio, you just want to get the audio afterwards. Um, so I think he Did threw, you know like, you were coming. No, I, this was, he's just making a rehab start in Port St. Lucie. Um, and you know, a bunch of the local stations would go out and, and they wanted to get audio as to how his rehab start went. So he throws like 25 pitches or 30 pitches in the game. And then he goes, we're told, cause by then I had like found a few people. So I was like, I'm just going to stick to them. Cause I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and we're told like as a scrum, Hey, he's making the rest of his rehab in the bullpen. So I'm like, okay, can we at least go over there? So we go and I probably see him for like his last eight pitches in the bullpen. So I think he threw like 40, 45 pitches all together. Well, Pedro comes out and instead of talking to us, he then continues to have a catch with play catch with his son, Trey. Um, don't quote me on I think his name was Trey. Uh, I didn't know this. Pedro Martinez had a house in Port St. Lucie. I don't know if he still has it. So we start the, finally, he's like done playing catch with his son. He comes over and starts talking to us. The Spanish people go first. They're giving him interviews in Spanish. I'm recording it, even though I have no idea if it's needed or not. Um, and then finally, he starts talking to the English crowd. And he's like, 
uh, you know, they're asking a few questions and he's like, um, yeah, it was great. You know, I got to wake up in my own house, in my own bed. And like, now I just got to play catch with my son. So like, it's nice to rehab here. And like, I was like, I had no idea any of this, but I'm just standing there. He's not much taller than I am. I'm about five, nine, which that was the first thing that she's probably like five eleven tops. Um, and he's just sitting there. It's just like the thing about Pedro, if you ever see him. And again, I don't know if you guys were too young to remember, like his 99, 2000 seasons was probably the two greatest seasons a pitcher's had since like Bob Gibson. Um, the man was absolutely... would have been four and five. Just so, <laughs> so probably not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the man was untouchable. I remember yeah. He was untouchable to various degrees from like 99 to 2005. Um, so this is a little bit after that. He's, he's kind of in the twilight of his career. He's playing for the Mets. That says it all. So we, uh, yeah. So he just, like, I'm talking to him and he's just fielding all the questions, like patting his son on the head, like <laughs> his son's next to him while he's fielding the questions. And it was just one of those moments when you're like, this is like a normal guy. Like he's a normal size. He's not jacked by any means. He's pretty skinny. He's about my height. I'm a 19 year old kid. And he's just shooting the shit about baseball. Um, and, I, you know, my recording worked. The audio worked. I, like, got to ask a couple questions. I don't remember what they are. And uh, and that was it. And then I slept and I went home. But, like, the whole time, you know, I'm just, like, totally shook. And you, that was really my first moment. You know, I've met other celebrities before and after. But that was the first moment when you're, like, you kind of feel like you're on the other side of things. Like, you're in the media. Because you just met Pedro Martinez, who you've hated your entire life. You've never met the guy, obviously. You've hated your entire life. And all of a sudden, now you're like, you know what? I would, like, go get a drink with that guy. Like, he was super cool. Um, and that was really my first moment when I started to kind of, like, I can still, as a fan, hate players for various reasons. I'm very good at it. But, um, <laughs> but, but from a... From a like a professional standpoint, it would all just disappear like that. It's just something that goes off is you can see guys for what they are. Um, and that was just one of my glimpses into it. So, yeah, so Pedro Martinez, really good guy, really nice guy, helpful with the media. And he's just like a normal father. <laughs> it's very strange. Would it, would it be the same with Aaron Boone? <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Boone, I would have uh, – a lot. I mean, it it could be the same thing, honestly. Like I, you know, I can hate guys like him and Luke Voigt, but if I ever met them and they were nice and like good people, yeah, I'd feel differently about them. I still wouldn't want them to coach my team, but I would still feel, yeah, I'd feel differently about him as a person. It's almost better. This is what I'm telling you here on Round Trippers. It is better to be a fan. <laughs> like be a fan for as long as you can, because you can do things like irrationally hate Luke Voigt. And whatever else you want to do, and there's no harm, no foul. Luke Voigt's never going to find out I hate his guts. Uh, I'm never going to meet Luke Voigt to be able to tell him I hate his guts. Eventually, he won't be a Yankee anymore, and I won't have to hate his guts. And that's it. That's like the perfect marriage you have as a fan with your team. But if I ever had to get back into the journalism field and go meet Luke Voigt for any reason, like that's just – it's going one way or the other. I, it's either going to reaffirm that I hate him or he, I'm going to have to change my opinion entirely on the spot, like what happened with Pedro. So that's, that's a mess you don't want to deal with. Are they, I think the only thing that I'll call on Luke Voigt for is if, I'm ever, if I ever have a gun to my head and said pick one person to do a one-arm bench press. 
<laughs> if you're ever there. if you're ever stranded under a mountain like your leg is caught under an enormous mountain yeah that's the guy i i want in my camp other than that i could do without <laughs> so i haven't really met you know being a joe schmo from the california desert i've never had the opportunity to really meet any uh any big so i've got i've like i've got an autograph from jerome williams when the Sweet. one of the two years that he was on <laughs> the angels um you know and so but i did have a quick brush or lack of a brush with mike trout right at the pinnacle mm. of when he was really being like big like he turned into mike trout in that first mike trout mania it was my oh i think i was 15 14 15 and um there's probably a bunch of the listeners now like you were 15 when mike trout <laughs> yeah. became a star shut up um so yeah i was like 14 15 years old they probably said that too when i said i was four or five when uh when pedro martinez was untouchable um but i was about 15 and i had collected baseball cards for a long time i still have a ton of baseball cards and my thing for a long time was I want to go to these baseball games and I want, um, you know, cause since I'm an angels fan, I want the angels to sign these baseball cards. I think that would be really cool. I'd like to get some signatures. So I am down, you know, like any other fan, I'm in angel stadium down at the front row before, you know, during batting practice before the game starts. And we're down there with intentions of getting somebody that gets paid by the angels to play baseball. Give me an autograph. I don't care who you are. Sign my baseball. I don't care. Well, out comes Mike Trout, right? Now, granted, I'm, I've, I've been there for a long time. I've been standing there for an hour just waiting for somebody to show up. Out comes Mike Trout, and you wouldn't believe the pandemonium that ensued as soon as Mike Trout made his way towards the railing. He comes up, and it's like a dog pile everybody's climbing all over each other, reaching over each other, trying to get this thing. And Mike Trout is coming down the line, signing auto. And I've got my card out and I'm like, yes, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get a, uh, an autograph from one of the best players in the MLB and probably one of the greatest players of all time. When it's all said and done, I'm about peed myself at 15 because I'm about ready to meet, Mike Trout and I want to have a conversation with him and I'm really nervous and he comes to me and and uh <laughs> and I stick my hand out there and this dude I can see him to this day his big pencil nose and his, his glasses <laughs> comes up and hits me on the shoulder sticks his hands out there Trout picks picks up his ball and his hat or whatever the hell he had signs the ball and the hat and so i stick out and go mr trout would you please and he leaves and i'm like no wow. no like i was one person away and you ruined my chances to meet mike trout i was so mad i'm fuming right and so then mark trumbo comes by and waves at me <laughs> and i'm like screw you mark trumbo i don't get <laughs> mike trout's signature like i was so mad um, thanks to Mark Trumbo, though, for waving at me. Um, and nothing against Mike Trout. Mike Trout seems to be a really nice guy. I still love Mike Trout. Nothing against Mike Trout. It's just one of those things I was like, 
was this close to meeting one of my favorite baseball players and it got ruined. Um, so can I tell I you, Austin, believe- my, my biggest takeaway from your story besides, you know, meeting a global icon, um, Jerome Williams <laughs> pitched 14 years in the major leagues. If you asked me to guess how many years Jerome Williams pitched in the majors, I would have said like six. So that's the yeah. first thing. The wow. second thing is just to show you how old I am compared to you. Jerome Williams entered the angels in 2011. That was his first year with them. I had Jerome Williams on my fantasy team as a rookie in 2003 with the Giants. <laughs> so, I was like, as soon as you said his name, I was like, oh my God, what a throwback. And I remember his rookie season with the Giants. I have a, bet, I have a best friend who's a huge Giants fan. He was all giddy about Jerome Williams, so I picked him up for fantasy. And uh, yeah, that's my Jerome Williams story. But that was my biggest say. I was like, you just name dropped Jerome Williams. I had no idea he played for the Angels because I don't know what happened to him after 2005. But he was on my fantasy team in 2003. Yeah, him and his pink glove. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I got to say, it's funny you mentioned Trumbo because the shirt that I decided to wear, I don't know if you could see it. it. Yeah. Trumbo. <laughs> Mark Trumbo is a D-back. Mark Trumbo is one of the most down-to-earth players I've ever met. I, he's he's one, of, one of my favorite baseball guys all time. I, I, yeah. like, I like Trumbo. I liked him as an angel. I was sad when they got rid of him, although he didn't produce very much. I really liked him as him and Peter Borges and all those guys. I really liked it. Um, There was a time where I was sitting right behind the Angels dugout, and the entire time that we were sitting there, there, it was Torrey Hunter, Mike Trout, Mark Trumbo, all standing next to each other right there the entire game. So it was really cool to sit there and – try and listen to their conversation or what they were talking about. But the entire game, those three just stood there. And it was, uh, of course, when they weren't out on the field. And it was, it was such a cool thing to listen to. So, yeah, I really like Mark Trumbo. So, Mark Trumbo, if you ever stumble across the Brown Trippers podcast, I think you've got a couple of fans. Uh, uh, and just know we have to wrap the show up now because uh, Mark Trumbo retired from baseball two years ago, and he is a year older than me. So <laughs> that's unacceptable. My gosh. Yeah. We're talking about Mark Trumbo. Like his career was like three decades ago. And I just, I was like, I'm curious how old he is. Cause in my mind, he's like 38 or 39. No, he's like 35. So yeah. Oh, the life of a baseball player. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, all right. Well, that does sum up our show. That does wrap our show. Um, this is the part where I ask you guys to plug whatever you want to plug. So Vince, we'll start with you. Um, you want to plug Dong City and any other and anything else you want to plug? <laughs> yeah, uh, Dong City's in the deep freeze right now. <laughs> we are we're just um, we're kind of you know in the winter we go on when there's things to go on. Now obviously in the lockout there's not much to talk about. And unlike 2020, Henry and I don't want to go on every week talking about the CBA over and over again. So. Dong City usually would be Wednesdays, um, 8 p.m. Eastern time in baseball life. If you're not in baseball life, that's what I'm really plugging here. Join baseball life. Great group of guys and gals to talk about baseball. There's about 8,500 of us, so you'd be a welcome addition. Um, am I allowed to to plug pop culture? or uh, are plug we Whatever you want. Go All right. Well, hey, the active podcast this Sunday, 8 p.m., we're going to start a Best Disney Movie bracket 
in pop culture life will be streaming live probably on my Facebook. So if you're into movies or video games or music or anything like that, join pop culture life, but especially join Austin and I, he'll be on it too, uh, for our pop culture podcast this Sunday, 8 PM, as we introduce the best Disney movies ever animated movie bracket. We've already got some arguments being made when it with, with this bracket, and we it's haven't going even, to be ridiculous. We yeah. haven't even finished <laughs> making the bracket yet. It's going to be ridiculous. Uh, Corey, anything you want to plug? Um, I'll say the site that I currently write for is also kind of in a deep freeze. The tech person that is supposed to be working on it is making uh false 2020 election claims, so I don't know if that's ever coming back. Um, but <laughs> under the life group umbrella, there's football life, which, uh, I'll say if you're not in baseball life, you know, I'm even saying this as a former admin and I'm not salty at all about it. <laughs> uh, join baseball life. Uh, be sure to check out football life as well. Football life is fantastic. And we're really getting close to a thousand members in there. So I, I think that that's. That, that's a really great group. If you want to come and talk about my Cardinals with me, I will punch you in the face. Uh, <laughs> but No, I'm kidding. We could talk about anything as long as it's not Trayvon Diggs this week. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much all I have to plug currently. There's a podcast that I'm about to be on in the works with uh, – melvin of the baseball cosmos universe we're going to be start talking about a lot of christian stuff uh it'll be called the the heathens so that's a bit of an announcement but that's all i got nice yep Mel melvin's been on this podcast a few times good guy good guy i love melvin all right well that is the end of this episode thank you for listening to the round trippers podcast uh you can find the podcast on spotify apple podcasts and anywhere else that you listen to uh, your podcast. You can also find uh, the show on Twitter at round underscore trippers. Uh, that is the tr Twitter handle. If you have a question, you want to leave feedback for the show, you can either go to the Twitter page or you can go to our email at roundtripperspodcast at gmail.com. Also go ahead and leave a five-star review for Spotify. Uh, are in Spotify. We would, I would really appreciate that. Um, on behalf of my good friends, Corey Decker and Vince Mercandetti, I am Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, have a good one, everybody.